Shabbat Shalom. How's everybody doing? Some people are doing good. Some people are tired. Some people are still trying to get coffee, which means they're trying to wake up. Uh, This is a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day because the sun is shining because it's 90 degrees outside. And because it's one more Shabbat closer towards the fall feast. So fall feasts are always a favorite of mine. Um, I want to give you guys a couple quick announcements. We're going to start off with the fall feasts. So the fall feasts are coming. On the uh, 22nd and 29th of September, we will not be having service here. Uh, on the 22nd and the 29th, all of our team will be out at uh, Chandler, Oklahoma, helping Lion and Lamb put on their Feast of Tabernacles out there. So the 22nd and the 29th, we won't be here. Once again, if you don't have a place to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, I highly recommend the Feast of Tabernacles in Chandler. Not just because I helped put it on, but because it is one of the favorite places of mine to go. Daniel's and Ephraim is definitely biased because, you know, his dad helped start it. So, but we enjoy it. There's tons of families, tons of things to do there. So if you don't have a place to go, please come see one of us or call the Lion and Lamb office. There's more information in the bulletins, which are on the table. And uh, we definitely would love for you to come and join us for that. Uh, For those of you who have not liked us on Facebook, we have uh, put some information up there for some upcoming outreaches. One of them, I believe, is tomorrow at the Grace Living Center here in uh, Norman. Um, We have done a couple of things at the Grace Living Center, but right now the Grace Living Center is even more so a thing that we need to be involved with. Why? Because one of our own, Marilyn Johnson, is currently in Grace uh, rehabbing uh, her broken hip. And so uh, Daniel and I had an opportunity to stop in there uh, this past week. I'm standing on, I'm standing on, I don't need to stand on there. I'm tall. There we go. There we go. I know I was looking down at Daniel. So, so here we go. And so Grace Living Center, I'm pretty sure, Stephen, that's, that's tomorrow, right? Okay, that's tomorrow, as well as there's a couple other ones that are coming up, one in September. So check out the Facebook page. They'll be in the bulletin next week. Um, Ephraim is still on vacation, and I don't know how to use whatever software he uses. And so I did my best to try to adjust the bulletin. That didn't work very well. So we'll get that fixed on our end, but I wanted to make sure everybody understands tomorrow, Grace Living Center, we're going to have an outreach there. Uh, Get get a chance to give Marilyn a hug as well um, as she's recuperating from the broken hip in Grace. Um, Um. at 10.30 tomorrow. So, and that is over on the west side of Norman. Um, There's also, I believe, some traffic where they have that whole entire road closed down on Main Street. So you actually have to go in from the north side of that. So make sure you kind of like put that into your computer, put that into your GPS before you go over there. They have one of the, uh, I think it's Main Street is tore up uh, right before you get to 48th. So you have to go in on the north side, not the south side. But uh, if you can sing especially, um, if you can do anything like that, and just First and foremost, if you have a servant's heart, which we all should have, is a servant's heart. Um, join uh, Alicia and Stephen, our outreach coordinators, tomorrow at Grace uh, for that. Our youth meetings are back to weekly now that school is back in. Uh, had a fantastic one at Mike and Melissa Ophel's house this past Thursday. There's another one this coming Thursday. My understanding is it's a luau theme. So I don't really know what that means, um, but uh, I guess uh, I guess you guys are going to have like Hawaiian buns and stuff like that for, okay, huh? Grass skirts and stuff like that, as long as you have the leggings underneath and keep it totes kosher. So yeah, we got to keep it kosher. Uh, ladies prayer meeting is at the Fricker's house tomorrow, um, run by Roxanne, not Brian, for the ladies. I know I'm in rare form today. I really am, sorry. 
I apologize to you all ahead of time because I'm also teaching today, so I apologize I'm in rare form. Um, men's prayer breakfast is September 9th as well. Um, that's all I got as far as the local stuff. Um, want to remind everybody as we get ready to go into the fall feast that you can either do on our website or we pass the cards out every single week um, on donations and tithes. And those can go in during the worship. We don't have a special time of offering and we don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on that. None of our staff takes salaries. But when it comes time towards feasts and that, we do have people who need help, need help to be able to keep the feast, need help to be able to uh, uh, travel to and from other gatherings. And there's people who need help all the time. And so while we don't make a big deal about talking about who we do help, um, we do constantly try to help people in the local community with the money that goes into the Pushka. And so um, your, your tithes, your offerings, your gifts, whatever you want to call them, your donations, um, thank you very much for that. We do have a little bit of a big announcement that we were going to try and wait one more week to announce uh, until Ephraim got back, but that just was not possible to do so because just like everything else uh, nowadays, uh, things get out pretty quickly. Um, over the last two or three months, uh, we have been having conversations with a close personal friend of ours. Um, I've known the gentleman for, I think, over 10 years, and I know you've known him for multiple years. Ephraim's known him for multiple years as well. That gentleman is uh, Pastor Ed Harris of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth's Beit Yeshua. Some of you know him from different conferences. Um, some of you know him from the Feast of Tabernacles. He's a guy who likes to, like, jump around and hoot and holler. Dude's got some flavor and some flair. So, um, but he's one of my best friends. Over the last two months, we've been in discussions uh, with all the eldership of both of his congregation and of HFF up here. And October 20th, we're excited to announce that we're going to be opening up HFF DFW, and Pastor Ed Harris will be taking over uh, HFF DFW. So we'll have a campus in the, on the north side of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, Pastor Ed will be joining our leadership team, uh, so he uh, we will be accountable to him just as much as he will be accountable to us. Uh, and he will take the lead shepherd's role over that community. The congregation that he had will merge into that congregation. Um, and so last week I was actually in Dallas, had the opportunity to teach uh, and speak to the congregation about that. And it was met with a, a lot of that. You want to share anything else on that? And then, so I'm very excited about that. I know Daniel's very excited about that. You want to share anything else on that? It's just an amazing opportunity to be able to, um, you know, expand the, the HFF uh, theme into another uh, community and be able to unite with them. So there's going to be some things here in the, in the future, hopefully, where we'll be able to do some joint things together, be able to coordinate with the two, uh, you know, fellowships, things of this nature. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, it, it allows us the opportunity to be able to uh, participate in other uh, outreaches and things of that nature because, uh, Dallas is a little bit bigger metro area than Oklahoma City, right? So, uh, you know, gives us that opportunity as well. So very exciting to be able to, uh, you know, partner with uh, someone like Ed Harris and be able to, uh, you know, cause that HFF name to become a little bit better known uh, and to join together with them. So pretty exciting times. Yeah, I agree. He definitely shares the same vision that all of our leadership team does. And we honestly feel very, very honored that he would join our leadership team as well as having us join his. And so um, the same kind of Yeshua-centered uh, Sabbath services, that's exactly what's going to exist in Dallas. Um, that's exactly what Ed is going to bring. And we're going to bring a lot of the same things that uh, we have to this community, uh, to that community as well. And so uh, part of that is also trying to partner with other fellowships in the local area, the Messianic 
Carolina congregations. One of the ways we're doing that, which Ed and Hava will be here for, is the first weekend of November. I know Tabernacles is coming up, and Tabernacles will go into the first part of October, but I want to, we'd like to plan ahead. Uh, first weekend of November, we're doing a two-part marriage seminar with Ed and Hava Harris here, uh, and that'll be the first time after launching HFF DFW that we have them up here to actually speak to you guys as well in a formal capacity. And so they'll be here on that Shabbat, and as a part of that Sabbath service, uh, we'll be providing child care for the kids, and they're going to go over uh, marriage. Um, I think they're calling a one-night stand. And so they'll both be here. They'll both be speaking on, on the topic of biblical marriage and what that means. And then part two of that will be at Bet Ami on uh, Saturday afternoon. And so we'll be partnering with Bet Ami uh, to do part one here and then part two there. And so, again, part of HFF's whole goal is to reach out in the community and to develop better relationships uh, amongst all of the brethren in the area. And so we're really excited about being able to do that in the region. And uh, Ed and Hava will definitely be here more uh, in the future, and we'll be supporting them down there as well. And so hop, skip, and a jump. Now, they will be doing their services in the afternoon. They won't change the service times of when they were meeting, so they'll do 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., and they are going to start live streaming uh, their service as well. And so that way you'll be, able to, uh, you'll be able to come here in the morning and go there in the afternoon if you so choose to. A little bit longer than a Sabbath day journey, uh, but that's just one, one of the rabbis who believe that that's, that's the Sabbath day journey. So we won't get into the theological on that yet. But we're, we're super excited. We'll give you guys more updates as we know more. Uh, but uh, October 20th is the first date that they'll have their launch party. And so we'll be going down there after our service to support them and their community as well. So speaking of community, let's go ahead and stand up and say Shabbat Shalom to all of our friends. And let's go ahead and start uh, worshiping the Lord today. All right.
your name up high, Lord. Great and mighty are you. Awesome are your ways. Almighty Elohim, who was and is and is to come, the Most High God. In these 40 days of Elul, in these 40 days of repentance and retrospective of our hearts and our lives, Father. May our tongues lift you higher and higher. That we would have more of you and less of us. That you would come and you would just dwell amongst your people. That you would fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving. That when we speak, it would be your voice that would go forth, Father, that would make the darkness tremble, that would make anything that is not of you flee from this community, from this city, Father. That our lips would profess that Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus is Lord. There is no other. Blessed be your name, whose kingdom is forever and ever. I want to apologize, Father, and none of the Messiah, for he is Lord. And I won't apologize, Father, and none of us here will apologize for lifting your name high and declaring publicly that Yeshua is the Messiah. We will not deny you before men, Father. We will publicly scream your name. For you are our salvation. For you are our help in times of trouble. There is none other than you who would take on my sin and the weight of the sin of this world that we might be able to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. We will overcome by the word of the Lord, we will overcome by the Lamb. Blessed be his name, his kingdom is forever and ever. Oh, 
Sing with us your name. Your name is a light that the shadows can deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name, your life forever lifted high. Your name. 
cannot be Sing it out with us. His name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light forever lifted high. Your must tremble and during this season father may the darkness that might be trying to hide in us tremble and retreat move get out in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach because in this vessel in this place as we head towards Yom Teruah there is no place for it not in any one of our hearts not in any one of our lives not inside this community Whatever place that we have given over to be championed by something that is not of you, Yeshua, we ask that you come and take it. The shadows cannot hide from the name of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. The power that you possess, O oh Heavenly Father, to conquer sin and death. The one who knows the stars and hung the stars, hung the moon in place. All blessing, all glory, and all power be to you and you alone. Father, will you come and do it again like you did in the ancient days with the Israelites in the wilderness? And will you come and will you dwell with your people here? Will you come and pour your Holy Spirit and Ruach HaKodesh out in our midst? And not only would you pour it out here, Father, but would we be vessels for you that we would take this back into our community, back into this city, back into this state, and it would radiate through. 
and those who are watching online, Father, and those who are listening online, that you would penetrate their hearts right now, Father, because ultimately, Father, we need a revival of your people in this time, a revival of your people who will walk by the truth of your Torah, who will profess with their mouth that Yeshua the Mashiach is Messiah, who will keep your holy days and your Sabbaths, and who will not eat of the detestable things of this world, Father, but will seek after you with repentance. Father, I see that day coming. I see it coming where you allow us to be a part of your plan, Almighty One. Just a small part to serve you. And if nothing else, Father, if the rocks will cry out and worship, so will we. So will we. For you are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all of our praise. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. No point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your bed the planets for if the stars were made to worship so will I I can see your heart in everything you made every burning star a signal fire of grace if creation sees praises so will I and God of your promise you don't speak in vain no syllable empty or void for once you have spoken
Father, I could have been the one that you could have left behind. But you're the God who never leaves the one behind. And you have a remnant that you are drawing back to you. They're the ones who this world had left behind. The ones who knew that there was something not quite right. Something didn't add up. There had to be more.
is more. There's more grace. There's more mercy. And there's more love than any one human being ever deserves or can handle. The love that you have for your people, that you would write your Torah. The love that you have for your people, that you would part the sea. The love that you have for your people, that you would continue through their years and years and years of rebellion, myself included, Lord, to meet them on that road and help them forward. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Father, I thank you that you have not forsaken any of us. I thank you that you alone are my salvation. I thank you, Father, for all the blessings of this life that you have given to us. And I thank you for the trials to remind us of the blessings that you have given to us. Father, we love you with everything that we have. And on this set-apart day, this Sabbath day, We lift our voices in praise and adoration to you. Blessed are you, our Lord. It's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen and amen. If creation sings his praises, so will I. Uh, if you read the words to that last song, what powerful words those are. If you get a chance some night to be someplace where you can look up at the stars, all those little twinkling lights up there, stop and think that that's just a very small number of all the stars that God created. He spoke and they were there. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we praise. And that's the God that we're going to pray to right now. I've got a lot of prayer requests here. And I'm just going to, like they say, throw them out and we'll see what sticks and then you can pray for whatever sticks to your heart, all right? We need to keep praying for Marilyn, who broke her hip a couple of weeks ago. She has had her surgery and is in uh, uh, whatever they call it after you do. Rehab, yeah. My mind goes blank every once in a while. But anyway. So she's in rehab right now, so we just need to continue to pray for her and for healing there for her hip. I know this is a topic that we don't, you know, we don't talk about politics and religion, right? But we have uh, elections coming up in November, and they're very, very critical elections. Whether you like who's in charge now or not is not an issue this morning. We need to be praying for President Trump. 
and for those that are in leadership in this country. We need to pray especially for those who have decided that whatever it takes, they're going to take down this government. And we need to pray that uh, God's will will be done in this nation. We're at a critical point in this country. And what happens in the elections this November will determine a lot of what's going to happen in the next few years. So we need to be praying for him, that he'll make wise, godly decisions, and that for and Congress the same way. We've prayed in the past for Quentin's wife's sister, Anne, who has cancer, and uh, She's going through some chemo right now, and the other day she stopped breathing, and they ended up having to take her to the hospital, so we need to continue to pray for Ann. Ephraim has been on vacation this past week. He's been in Florida, down at Cocoa Beach. He's having a great time, and they're on their way back. They're traveling, and they're going to stop at a couple places, so they're going to take about three days to come back. So we need to pray for Ephraim and his family for, for traveling mercies so that God will protect them. Lauren, unfortunately, was stung by a jellyfish, and so we need to pray for her that, uh, that she'll recover from that and that uh, the trip home won't be a painful one for her. I'm glad to see Paul here this morning. Amen. We've been praying for him and the MS that uh, came back up again. And he's doing well, I understand. He's still taking some treatments and things. So, but it's good to see you here this morning. And we need to keep praying for Patrice. Uh, she had a situation happen this week with her knee where uh, she's hurt it again to some extent and she's in pain. So we need to continue to pray. The God will completely heal her knee. And for Karen, uh, I know we prayed for her for her next surgery, and she's having some, she's doing better, she's doing well, and we're glad to see her here this morning, but we need to, again, pray for her complete recovery from that also. And praise God, we've been praying for Chad that he'll get a job, and he's had a couple of job interviews, and he had a really good job interview the other day, as a matter of fact, I understand it was over four hours long. <laughs> so uh, we need to keep praying for Chad and that, uh, that the individual will make a, the decision that God wants in this situation. And, and if God wants Chad to have this, this uh, position, that he will, uh, he will give him that job. So uh, we're grateful for that. And we don't want to forget to pray for Ed Harris the congregation down there in Dallas, and for the changes that are going to be taking place down there and here as we join the congregations together. Uh, if you've never heard Ed Harris, uh, you've missed out on something. He's awesome. So we look forward to him coming up, and we look forward to joining with him in the congregation. And I'm going to let Patrice tell us about this. She wanted us to pray for heart to heart. And I'm not sure what that is. Um, heart to Heart is a nonprofit organization that I am in the process of doing. Actually, we're in the process of doing. 
It's Heart to Heart Equine or Horse Rescue Center um, and Rescue and Rehabilitation Center, but we're also ministering to battered um, and abused women and children. So we're just um, soliciting prayers for guidance, for a uh, quick approval on the 501c3 and that the father would open financial doors to get things moving in this ministry. Amen. And uh, I understand Paul's sister-in-law, Michelle, will have surgery next week, so we need to pray for her also. A couple of last things here. Uh, some of you are, may not be aware, but at 10 o'clock here on Saturday mornings, there's a group that meets in the glass room over there for prayer, and they pray for the service here, for everything that goes on, and you're invited to join them here at 10 o'clock whenever you can come and to pray for them. Also, if you're not familiar, uh, there are prayer request cards on the table back there, and if you have a prayer request, you can fill that out and give it to me or one of the leadership here. If you want it prayed for that morning, I need to have the card before I get up here, all right? Because it doesn't do me any good to get the card afterward. So those are there and they're available for you. Also, uh, there's a prayer, you can join the HFF prayer group online and you can go to Hebraic Family and uh, look it up and, uh, and be a part of it and you can find out what all is going on and what you can pray for. So you're invited to do that also. So now I'm going to turn it over to you and let, uh, let whatever st st stuck to your heart you can pray for and then we'll, I'll close in a few minutes.
you are an awesome God. You are beyond what we can even comprehend. Not only did you put every single star in place up there, but you named each one. You know each one by name. That just is more than I can even comprehend. And yet, as great as you are, and as small as we are, you know each of us also by name. And you care about each one of us. And you care enough that you want only the best for each of us. And you've given us the opportunity to come before you. And I can't even, can't even imagine that. To come before the God of this universe. The God who created everything out of nothing. Who spoke it and it came into existence. And yet we can come before you, Father, this morning. And lift up to you those things that you have put on our heart. We thank you that you have heard us and that you will answer the different prayer requests and you will answer them in a way that is best for each individual. And we can trust you with that. We commit the rest of this service to you. Thank you for the wonderful time of praise that we've had to reflect on who you are, to honor you, and to give you the praise and the glory that you are due. And now we pray for Gage as he comes and brings the first five. We pray for Chris as he brings the main message and ask that your Holy Spirit would so empower them that every word that they speak would come from you. We thank you for those who are here visiting us this, time, this morning for the first time. And our prayer for them is that this will be a time when their hearts will be blessed and that they would leave here with a newer, fuller understanding of who you are and a greater love for you. So we commit this time to you. We thank you for all you've done. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carlos. If you'd like to open with a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this Sabbath. Thank you that your Sabbath is truly the pinnacle and the climax of our week, Father. All of our work that we do throughout the week should revolve around the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is about celebration, it is about resting, it is about saying no to the consumer culture that says we must work, 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 and we shall not rest. Father, thank you for instructing us in a way that shows us how to be fully human, bearing your image. May these words be your words, Father, and may our hearts be tuned to your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. So, today, I'm talking about why you should not follow Torah. I think that got people's attention, hopefully. So this Torah portion, it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 
verse 10 and goes through chapter 25, verse 19, I believe. And why I wanted to talk about why you should not follow Torah this morning is when I was reading this Torah portion, there were several things in it that stuck out to me as, um, for lack of a better term, exceptions in the Torah, per se. And so I'm going to go through a few of those, and then we'll wrap it up and bring the kids up. So in this Torah portion, it's, it's a lot of miscellaneous laws, so to speak, kind of thrown in, and there's not really a, there's not really a um, theme that pops out, per se. Um, and so in chapter 22, verse 15 through 17, again, these are just miscellaneous laws strung together in this Torah portion. These are about the firstborn inheritance rights. And if you're following along, it's Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 15. If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on that day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved, wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he's the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Now, like I said earlier, there's exceptions in the Torah. And if we're taking this as 100% fail-proof, I think we'll be disappointed because Ishmael was the true firstborn. Esau was the true firstborn. Joseph was not the true firstborn. Continuing on um, to chapter 23, verse 3. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. Now, who's familiar with the story of Ruth? Show of hands. What was Ruth? A Moabite. Very good. And she's mentioned in the genealogy of Yeshua in Matthew 1. But again, if we're taking this scripture here as fail-proof, 100%, no exceptions ever then we kind of run into a little bit of a hiccup. Deuteronomy chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, so on and so forth. So if a man has a wife and he's displeased with her, he can divorce her. However, in Matthew 19, if you want to turn with me there, the words of Yeshua seem to fully explain this Torah commandment. The 
The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Yeshua said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer one, or they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Then the Pharisees said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Moses, because of your hardness of hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So we see Yeshua fully expound the intent of the law and bringing it full circle this is why your focus should not be on following torah if our focus is on if our focus main focus is on following torah we can miss the messiah plenty of jews in the first century missed the messiah by simply following torah and focusing on that now when we make our focus yeshua the chief cornerstone of our faith the foundation of our faith, then everything else will fall into place. One last scripture in this Torah portion. It's Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Who was put to death for our sin? Yeshua. Yeshua was put to death for our sin. But if we take this passage here in Deuteronomy, foolproof, no exceptions, hardline, then a person should die for his own sins. You see, I find it interesting when I talk to my Christian brothers and sisters who, who don't follow the feast and certain things like that out of their own um, choice. When they say, well, the law is just too strict. I say Yeshua is, he's much stricter than the law. You can follow the Torah and still break the commandments of Yeshua, so to speak. Because Yeshua talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've already committed, committed murder. If you've lusted after a woman, you've already committed adultery. Yeshua calls us to a higher standard than the Torah. So if we're following Torah, we're not meeting Yeshua's standard. So when you follow the commandments, there's a chance you'll miss Yeshua if you're focusing on following the commandments. Now when you're following Yeshua, you're going to walk in step with him, in step with the commandments, naturally, Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word, your, your holy scriptures and preserving it throughout the ages, Lord. It is such a blessing. Your Torah is full of blessing. Your Torah is so beautiful. Thank you for giving us such a wonderful gift. But Lord, may we not misuse that gift and make it the center of our faith. It is such an amazing gift when it is used for the purpose that you intended it to be used for. 
Yeshua, may you be the life-giving source in our hearts and lives. May we find true strength from you and your spirit. And only then, only then can we fulfill the righteous requirements of the Torah by walking in step with you, confessing our sins, and realizing that we cannot do it without you. Thank you for this. Yeshua, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this community. Thank you for all the amazing friends and fellowship that we have here. Lord, may we be united in spirit and in truth. May we, may we be one as you and the Father are one, Lord. Amen. Now we're going to move into a time of blessing the children. If all the children can come up. It's a very, very special time in our service every week. I think it says a lot about our community that we choose to set aside time every week in our service to bring the children up and bless them for their equal members of our community. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all these little ones. And uh, Father, we just thank you that every week this talit is uh, overflowing. Father, we thank you for all the new little ones that have been born, uh, for those who are to be born, Father. What a blessing it is to have all these wonderful, beautiful little kids. Father, will you teach each and every one of us adults how to be more like them, how to how to be joyous, how to be uh, fruitful in our speech with one another. And how to just love you with all of our heart, Father. Father, make them to be strong. Make the men to be mighty men of Israel. Make the daughters to be mighty women of Israel, Father. Father, would you guide their path and light their path for what you would have for them, blessing them and anointing them along the way. For it's in Yeshua's name we come before you. Amen. All right, well, today we're going to talk about things we should talk about in church. Now, I had a completely different opening for how this, okay, this isn't going to happen. Sit down. You can sit down with Daddy right here. I had a completely different opening for how this sermon was going to go today, but the Father has given us a real life example. 
in most churches, when the pastor is standing on the church, you don't have very, very needy children. They're very, very needy children who must sit next to them and fight a little bit about who's supposed to hug who and who's supposed to do what. You know, a couple minutes ago, he needed all the attention, and now all of a sudden, he didn't want, he didn't want her to touch him. He tells her to shush. Dude, that's hypocrisy. I just saw you when you were in the middle of the uh, blessing of the kids. So I'm going to attempt to do this with them uh, up here. And maybe this will make it a little bit more entertaining because they're definitely cuter than I am. So today we're going to talk about things we should talk about in the church. See, I, I like to try to keep the titles as short as possible. And so I couldn't put church slash congregation slash synagogue slash fellowship slash home study slash I don't even know what else is new at this point in time. Um, but it, it applies across the board. And the reason why it applies across the board is because every church kind of has the thing that they do. We have the thing we do. I mean, you know, Carlos is constantly looking at me like, why can't I do this? And it's like, because we have the thing we do. And every church has that. And that's what kind of makes every church unique. Um, we're witnessing that in our community right now. Journey Church, one of the largest non-denominational churches right across the interstate, uh, had the thing that they did. It was their thing. Very popular. Sit down. Sit down. If I tell you again, I'm going to spank you in front of everybody. And then we'll talk about other things in church we should talk about. I like getting tested. This is the best ministry you have. But Journey Church, their pastor came back. He was burnt out, didn't want to do it anymore. And all of a sudden, here comes Fellowship Church. Some of you who've visited the Dallas area, you know about Fellowship Church. They're the people who own like 45,000 acres on the North Grapevine area. It looks like a, a, a mall when you drive by there on Sunday. Last week when I was driving back with my family from Ikea on Sunday morning, we happened to drive by Fellowship. Fellowship is huge, very huge. And now they have a campus here as well. They have a thing that they do. This church is now going to become Fellowship. They're going to do the thing that they do. Every church does. In the Messianic, and that's where I really want to talk today because I don't want to really throw stones at the Christian church. I don't want to throw stones at Judaism. I want us to talk about ourselves. And so by talking about ourselves, and I guess we're Messianic, um, whatever you want to call us, Christian, Messianic, Hebrew roots, Hebraic roots, we're, we're everything under, uh, Torah-pursuant believers in Yeshua, we're about everything under the sun, depends upon who you ask. And that's part of the beauty of it. It's part of the beauty of it is that we're all individuals. And being individuals strengthens us as a community. It's no different than the Israelites when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Not different at all. Because each one of the tribes had a little bit of a unique element to themselves. And as a whole, they were strengthened as a community. See, Messianic congregations, Hebrew roots congregations, Hebraic roots, Messianic Judaism, whatever you want to call them. They have a problem of doing the same exact thing over and over again. Once again, I already admitted to you publicly that I do the same thing to Carlos. So once again, I'm guilty of the same thing. And that is, is that for years and years and years, we've gotten into a routine where we read predetermined cycles 
every week. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with the Torah. Not one thing wrong with the Torah. I believe the Torah is a blessed book. I keep the Torah to the best of my ability, which some days is better than others, honestly. Pretty easy for me at this point in time, 10 years in, to not eat shellfish. Pretty easy for me to not order lobster, 10 years in. However, to honor thy father and thy mother, yeah, that's one I'm still working on. To not be angry and want to steal or thieve or any of the other things in your mind when your children don't behave and you've got to keep yourself composed is not easy. Those types of things the Lord puts in front of us to test us. But why not in our congregation? I really am. I'm going to have a conversation one-on-one with God tonight. I try to do it every night. And I'm going to thank him for this real live in the flesh example this year. This is on top of anything he's ever done for me before. It really is. He's really, if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, just keep watching. But why aren't we talking about the elements of life that we experience on an everyday? We do, and now look, I get it. I totally understand, and I'm not going to tell a lot of you anything new. We understand the fact that most of our parents and us grew up in a Christian church. And then we came to the Torah and to the feast. And when we came to the Torah and the feast, we did a vroom. And now the most important thing to us was Torah cycle readings every single Shabbat. We had to do the same midrashing. We had to do all these types of things. And in doing so, we got to a point where we were doing exactly the same thing every single week. The problem is, is none of us are exactly the same every single week. We're just not. We're human beings. And one week, God puts a trial and a test in front of us, and he puts a huge win in front of us. And in other weeks, we, we smooth pretty easily. So why every week are we focusing on just that? And I say just that because some of Gage's verbiage and some of my verbiage might be misconstrued, especially for people who, who don't know us well. You may think that we're speaking against the Torah. We are not speaking against the Torah. We are putting the Torah back in the rightful place, which is the law, and Yeshua back in the rightful place, which is the law giver. The law giver. Now, I want to take a second, because this has been sitting in the back of my mind, and I wanted to say this originally when I came up here, because this is pretty awe-inspiring for me. Um, And Daniel, I think... uh, it would, he would second this if he knows that this has happened. Um, I went back there. Normally, I check on the live stream just to make sure what comments are there. Every once in a while, we get a very interesting comment from somebody who doesn't believe the, the same way that we do on a Shabbat, and it becomes a source of contention. And there's a whole other service going on online than there is going on in here. So every Shabbat after worship, I go back and I check there. This week, there was a gentleman who said Shabbat Shalom from Kenya. He's watching from Kenya. Now, two and a half years ago, when we started HFF and the Lord had given us that vision, we knew the Lord had given us a vision to be different. We're still Israelites, 
We're still Messianics. We're still Hebrews. We're still Christians. We're still whatever label you want. But we want it to be a little bit different. We wanted to minister to people who are in a different place in their walk and do so through the gifts that God had given us. And we didn't know what that was going to be like. I mean, anytime you start throwing LED lights on and stuff like that, and you start using words like church, you alienate a whole percentage of people who consider themselves to be Messianic. It's true. I'm not trying to make a joke. It's absolutely true. If you don't know that, that is true. But we felt like the Lord specifically called us to focus on this type of a calling. And we've done so. And to find out that the Lord would see fit to allow us to join for the Sabbath day with someone in Kenya is overwhelmingly humbling. One day, it won't just be Kenya. One day it will be all of our brothers and sisters from all over the world who will be regathered into the kingdom of the Lord and Mashiach will be back. And then we'll be keeping Shabbat with all our brothers and sisters. But it is unbelievably humbling to go on there and see a gentleman's name and him to say Shabbat Shalom. I'm watching from Kenya. So Shabbat Shalom to you from Norman, Oklahoma. We are brothers of the same master of Yeshua HaMashiach. Shabbat Shalom, brother. So we have gotten ourselves into a cycle, a cycle that says we must read the same things, talk about the same things, do the same things every single week. Churches do the same thing. We'll play the same five songs. We'll do this. There's got to be a message on grace or love. You can only go 10 minutes. Daniel kind of looked at me and said, there's no way you're doing a message in 10 minutes. I'm not doing a message in 10 minutes. Anybody who thinks of that has already set themselves up for failure. We wanted to be different. And in order to be different, you must sometimes do the things that are hard. You must sometimes say the things that make people uncomfortable. Why? Because ultimately, if we're ever going to continue to grow towards the refining process of Messiah, we have to be willing to look at the things that we don't want to look at. Honestly, that's the season we're in. The season we're in is in the season of Elul. And everybody struggles with different things. Some people struggle to come to Shabbat service. Shots fired, but it's true. And so I thank you guys today who have come because you answered the call. And it's time for us to all get real about what's going on in our homes, what's in our life, in our relationship with Messiah. It's time for us to really look at what our calling is. Because I've taught before that you don't need a pulpit in order to be able to start a revolution. The calling doesn't come so that you can stand behind a pulpit or a nice wood table. The calling has been on your life from the day you were born. The question is going to be whether or not you answer it and what you do with it. But you're not going to do anything with that calling if you continue to sit back and wait and say that it's got to happen this way, this way, this way. So it's time for us to get real in our lives. You see, every one of us struggles with some element of sin. Everyone does. They do. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's lust. Sometimes it's greed. Sometimes it's, it's thievery. Sometimes it's... it's uh, adultery sometimes it's whatever alcoholism abuse addiction some of us struggle with things that other people it's not even a struggle for them. 
You know, I've found that in my life that, that the areas that I struggle in are not the traditional male struggles of people. Just they aren't. I'm unique in that sense, but I'm not in others. Because I struggle with things that the overwhelming percentage of males don't struggle with. But how about all of us when we start talking about things we struggle with, kind of like when we bring up the word enemies? You see, enemies is one of those things that we do that we try to act like we don't do. Because a lot of times, we, we will, you don't walk up to somebody like, oh man, I see that person over there, they're my enemy. And nobody talks that way anymore. Nobody talks that way. But when you walk up and you talk over about somebody and you've now alienated them to be in opposition to yourself and your thought process and you now try to change how somebody approaches how they interact with that person, you basically have created them an enemy. So you don't have to walk up and use this type of verbiage. We just do it naturally. It's like, oh, so-and-so didn't like something I said one time, or so-and-so didn't like how I wore my hair, or I wasn't modest enough in my attire, and you really should stay away from them. They're modesty police. And by the way, I see now they dress sometimes. You've created an enemy. And you've then tried to bring people over to your side and created an enemy with them against them. See, that's a problem. The reason why it's a problem, not just in the sense that it means that you got way too much time on your hands and you're not looking at yourself from a self-reflective standpoint. It's a problem because the moment that you created them an enemy, whether it's subliminally or you know what you're doing, you have a higher responsibility on how you're to treat them. You're supposed to love your enemy as yourself. That's what the scripture says. How many of you are walking around in Oneg afterwards telling people, oh, I'm the modesty police. Oh, you should see how I dress when I'm not around here. But don't tell anybody. You're not doing the same type of gossip and trying to create an enemy of yourself to anybody else. No, it's always gained at somebody else. So we need to start looking at how we treat one another. Because subliminally, the moment somebody else hears these things, sees these things, the moment you try to create an enemy out of somebody with somebody else, it doesn't go away whether you like it or not. It's there. It's there. We don't even have the ability to understand half of what the brain can do. But I can tell you this, it doesn't forget. We all know it doesn't forget. Forgiveness isn't the only struggle that we have. Forgetting is. Why are we talking about that on Shabbat? How many of you know congregations that get together and they're midrashing on anxiety and depression? I don't know of any. I've traveled to a lot. I don't know of any. Anybody know of anyone that sits around on Shabbat and midrashes on anxiety? Okay, I don't either. But yet anxiety is one of the most detrimental disorders of our modern day culture. We're all anxious. Some of you are anxious for me to shut up. We're all anxious. Our culture has created it that way. We can't even drive through the drive through window at McDonald's now. Excuse me, Sonic is a little drive through a little bit non-GMO. 
We can't even go through the drive-through now and wait for two minutes to get our food. That's how anxious. Everything is so fast. We can't turn our phones off. We can't turn anything off. Anxiety is crippling. But normally we think of when we think of anxiety disorders, we think of people who are on medicine. And they're there and they're just like, they're zombies because they're so heavily sedated. No, every one of us struggles with anxiety at some point in time. At least once in the week, I guarantee you that something makes you anxious. Something makes you anxious. And it adjusts how you approach things. But why are we not in this place and in other congregations sitting and talking about those types of things that cause us problems? What about the, the women who just have kids? Who struggle with the anxiety of the fact that, oh, my life has changed. Or I have another child. Or anything. I think if you sat down and asked every woman in here who has had babies, the moment you had a baby or multiple babies, you get anxiety when you think about how things are going to change in your life and how you may not necessarily have it all put together like you did before. And if you didn't have it put together before, you're even more anxious because now you got another one. You're like, man, I couldn't figure it out with one. How am I going to do it with two? And then somebody told me if I have three, it's even worse. By the way, it is worse when you have three. After three, you can have as many as you want, and it really doesn't change. But that third one, they, huh? That's, that's because you had one like you when you were older. Thank you, God. Honestly, though, why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we talking about those types of things? Why? When you come together on Shabbat, are we not looking at what Yeshua had to say? I mean, Yeshua cleansed the lepers. Yeshua healed the woman. Yeshua was put in all kinds of situations in order for him to give us clarity on the rules of the Torah and the spirit by which the Torah was given. But why are we not talking about those things? No, we're midrashing whether or not it was Abraham or how far did Abraham get up there before he was going to kill his son. And what was this and what was that? Oh, let me tell you about the sowed level. When I was reading the first scroll that I saw in Savannah, Georgia, and 1862 is when it was published. And meanwhile, somebody's over there with anxiety going, will you get done with this teaching? I don't care. Uh, we got people walking around and they say that they believe all these things and in three to four years we find them they completely left the faith because they never really did care. They had problems when they came to us. They had problems when they came to our small groups. They had problems when they came to Shabbat and they wanted an escape and a reprieve. They came to this place to find somebody to help them heal. And for some reason, in all the time it takes us in the morning to put our clothes on, do our hair, whatever, come to Shabbat, we've created an environment as a whole, as a whole, there are exceptions, as a whole, that created a place where people feel like you must be perfect to walk through the door. The church has done this too. All of us have done this in one way or another. This is where you put your Sunday best on. You come in and you put your smiles on and everybody sees you. And if somebody's in the corner crying, praying, like, oh, what's wrong with her? Oh, man. She messed up. Yeah, she's messed up. And she came to the place she's supposed to come to get healed. Hate to break it to you, I'm messed up too. I'm probably more messed up than all of you. I said to somebody today, Daniel doesn't need a mic to be able to be heard. And thank you for 
Thank you for proving me right, Daniel. Anxiety is crippling. Yet Matthew 6, 25 through 26 and 31 through 33 tells us that we are not to be anxious for nothing. With our enemies, I mean, Matthew 5, 43 through 47, we talked about it. Sets a pretty high bar when you consider somebody to be an enemy. Bigotry. Here's one that doesn't get talked about a lot now. Bigotry. I, I, you know, kids these days, they moved on with their slang and their, their, their whatever. I don't hear anybody walking like, you a bigot. Like, no. Like, I don't even know what they say. I'm too old now to even know what they say. I absolutely forgot it. It's the gray hair. But bigot. The Bible clearly outlines that if we confess with our mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you have obtained salvation. Hate to break it to you. God doesn't really care what you want, and it never really was about you. It was about him, his name, his namesake, and his kingdom. So we can say all we want that, oh, well, salvation means this, and then you must do this, and we must be able to judge it by this. And we, by the way, we do. We have all those standards. Every single one of us have created the standards, and then we are intolerant of another individual who may have a different viewpoint on that. At some point in time, each one of us has done that. Some of us are a little bit more confrontational, i.e. me. Some people are a little bit less confrontational, i.e. Ephraim. Some people like myself will come and tell you that I'm intolerant of your viewpoint. Some people like Ephraim will come and tell me that he's intolerant of your viewpoint. And so, but either way, we become intolerant about another person's viewpoint. On something that was wrote in a completely different culture, we don't understand, with a lot of people a lot smarter than us who have studied it and who live in that over a period of time. And so, why do we have anything to become bigots on? I mean, like the calendar, the seat seats. We have become intolerant of other people's perspectives. That's why we don't have a perspective here. Never once have we come out and said, this is a calendar we're going to take. Never once have we come out and said, this is a stance on seat seats. Because the moment we do, somebody is going to be intolerant of the decision that was made. Since I'm not your judge and I'm not your jury... I'm going to continue to teach you the best way I know and let the Lord continue to work on you. Because nowhere in the Bible does I say, by the way, when you came and you heard Chris, Chris was able to provide your salvation for you. Chris was able to give you, and never was Chris. It wasn't, no, God gave you an anointing of the word. The Ruach was able to move inside you. It wasn't Chris, never was Chris. It wasn't Daniel, it wasn't Ephraim. It wasn't any of us. It was God. We just have to get out of the way for God. Hard to get out of the way when we study all week long on every single thing that's written in the Torah portion or the half Torah portion or the Brit portion. And we go and we sit in a room with people and we spend hours and hours and hours fighting over that. Some people love that and that's okay. And I believe there's a time and a place for us to midrash. But why aren't we talking about things that can actually change our lives? Why aren't we talking about things in the place with our brothers and sisters that can actually make us better people? Can make us better disciples? They were fishermen. He made them better men. I guarantee you every single one of those disciples is a better man than I am. I want to be a better man. So why aren't we talking about those things? Why aren't we talking about our struggles? 
We do it in private text messages or we talk about it with our mom or our dad or that one close friend. But why don't we feel comfortable to come into a service on Shabbat and be open and honest with people about where we're at? Why do we believe that by doing so, we're going to be set in front of Yeshua with the rest of the Pharisees saying, this woman is an adulteress? And then why don't we trust Yeshua, who then turns the tables on the Pharisees and says, who wants to throw the first stone? They got out of Dodge quicker than the roadrunner. Because they were all guilty. Just my opinion I'll quote it on that. I don't have any, any real information on it. I think one of them in that group probably had something to do with that woman. And I think Yeshua knew it. And I think they knew, knew that Yeshua knew it. So Yeshua got real with them real quick. And they got really lost real quick. What about selfishness? Luke 9, 23 through 25 tells us that we must deny ourselves daily to take up our cross, our burdens, and follow Yeshua. Because if we will lose our life for the sake of Yeshua, we will actually save our life. Now, we know that, that, that some people will take this too far. Some people will go looking for opportunities to lose their life so that they can prove that they love Jesus. I don't even want to go that far right now. I want us to baby step into some stuff here. Because I honestly believe that might, may, might be off the reservation a little bit. That might be some New Mexico stuff, like Fox News New Mexico stuff, like over there. So let's just talk Norman, Oklahoma right now. Marriage splittings, friendship splittings. We got people who got daddy issues, mommy issues. Americans are some of the most selfish and entitled human beings on the face of the earth. Even down to our religious belief. We walk around thinking that we know more than the Jews who have studied in Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. We walk around thinking we know more than people who are in Europe. Because, hey man, I've had some European food. There's a Euro place down on Campus Corner. You know, you, you guys from Greece, you don't know nothing about no Euros. It's gyros. You got, you, got, you got to say it with a little southern twang. Americans, we have become selfish. Everything is about us. Even the Bible we're trying to make about us now. We're trying to make the Bible about the United States of America. The Bible's about the land of Israel. Always has been. Always has been. But... If you got friends whose marriages are splitting, if you got people who got struggles in their relationships, if you got people who can't keep their jobs because they're constantly fighting, if you got all these issues that are happening because people are more worried about themselves and getting theirs than taking care of somebody else, then no wonder we got problems. And we got it in the church. We got people fighting over what the worship music should sound like, how the pastor should do their hair, what happens. And this happens at every church, every place. Monty's called them the worship wars for years and years and years. Happened back in the day when they first brought a, uh, an organ in, when it was all a cappella. Then I am unbelievably happy that there was not another world war over the fact that they brought a drum set into a church. 
It was more tense than Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un's nuclear treaty. Seriously, they're trying to bring a drum set into a church and everybody's like, oh, the world's coming to an end. Satan is here. Why? Because we're selfish because we like the things we want. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. These types of things don't matter. In your home and in your heart, you get to have the relationship you want to do. You get to do the things you want. But when we come together as a collective body, we should be interested in the collective body. Not what I want. Not what you want. The vision of HFF that started wasn't Chris Frankie's vision. It was a collective team of elders' vision. And we have executed that. So when people come and say, hey, we really want to do this. And we say, "Mm, we're not really comfortable with that right now. We're not shutting you down because of you. We're shutting you down because the Lord has given us a collective vision. we got to go pray on that. Ain't nobody making the decisions here but the Lord. And when we decide to step in and make a decision on ourselves and get selfish as a leadership, he has a quick way of taking care of that problem. But why aren't we talking about these things in the church? Why aren't we talking about the fact that we're all selfish? That some of us want the service to end after an hour because we're hungry. Some of us don't want to own it because we want to go home. Why aren't we talking about those things? Instead, what we have is we have people who go out, buy a domain name, and get, build a little studio, put themselves on a website. They start talking about the same things people have been talking about for 20 years in the Torah portions and all the two-house teachings and all the Messianic Judaism. And nobody is getting together to talk about the fact that we're all broken people. See, Yeshua didn't have a problem with the synagogue. Yeshua went into the synagogue. There's numerous applications where Yeshua, even as a young boy, would go speak in the synagogue. So Saturday, time for that. But the overwhelming percentage of congregations and gatherings that call themselves Saturday-keeping, Sabbath-keeping, don't focus on it at all. They don't even talk about it. It doesn't even exist. So explain to me why Yeshua then went on the road constantly and the word came. Because people were getting healed. Because lives were changing. Not because Yeshua could recite the Torah portion better than Rabbi so-and-so of so-and-so precinct. He was doing things with the word of God. He was walking them out. It's time for us to stop opening up every ministry under the sun who can regurgitate the same thing that Rico Cortez or Monty Judah did for the last 15 to 20 years. Those men are our elders. We should allow them to be there and we should learn from them, but we should also figure out what our calling is and we should start executing it. And we should start talking about those things. Because there's an awful lot of teachers, there's not a lot of pastors. One of the greatest pieces of respect I ever gained for Monty Judah when I moved here is when he said, you know, I'm really not, I, I don't have the same shepherd's heart to kind of minister to the people with, with some of the pastoral elements. That's not my gifting. This is my gifting. It's like, that's, how wise is that of a man to stand up and say that, hey, this really isn't where I feel like the Lord has given me the gift, so I really shouldn't act like he did here. I'm going to go do this over here, and I'm going to do the best of my ability over here. No, we're trying to be everything to everybody. And that leads me to another one. And I'm never going to get through all the ones I want to get through today. It's just not going to happen. I, I haven't even heard the siren, but I'm pretty sure I'm over. Trust. We can't trust. We don't trust our neighbor. We, we don't, I mean, we lock our door. I don't even trust my kids. I just don't. You wouldn't believe how many granola bars disappear. That nobody knows where they went. 
But we also apply that lack of trust to the Lord. When God says he is something, we don't trust it. Let me prove why God is more than that. Or God is what I think it is. Or when God says he's going to do something for someone, we don't trust him. When he says he's going to take care of you, we don't really trust him. We keep praying, God, I don't know if you got the first voicemail. God, I don't know if you got my text. I'm still waiting on that better job. God, I'm still waiting on that, that pretty girl. God, I'm still whatever. He heard you the first time. He's waiting for you to trust him. He doesn't need you to remind him. Last time I checked, the only time he forgets is when he decides to throw something to the east and to the west. So we don't trust. We don't even trust God nowadays. What about tithing and finance? I'll stop right there. I won't even get into that. I won't even get into tithing today or financial giving or sharing because I really don't want to make that. I don't really, I'm already uncomfortable. No pastor likes to talk about tithing. They just don't. It's time for us to get real inside our congregations and our community about where we actually are. Because I have seen people who have professed to be Messianic, Sabbath-keeping, Yeshua-loving for five years or so. Walk into a conference, and when we have an altar call or a prayer time, and they come down and we talk to them, confess that they've been lying the whole entire time, that they want to ask Yeshua into their heart for the first time ever. So you can keep the Sabbath. You can keep everything on the outside. You can look like a really good Jew, a really good Hebrew, But if it isn't in here, it's all fake. I know some really smart people who can tell me an awful lot about the Torah portion. Who I am pretty sure have no relationship with the Lord. And what's even scarier is a lot of the people who talk and sit into the gatherings and stuff like that. They're the older generation. You got kids. You got grandkids. You had the church. You had the teachings of Yeshua. You had the teaching of the baptism by the Holy Spirit. You had the baptism by the water teachings. You grew up in those things. Most of your kids and most of the grandkids at this point in time, they don't have that because they've been raised in a Sabbath-keeping fellowship. That's putting emphasis on Torah and Torah portions without balancing it and how it comes right back to Messiah. Now, I'm a pastor, and I'm guilty of it just as much as everybody else is, but those kids grow up, and we forget the fact that they never sat in a church, never heard fire and brimstone, never heard about Jesus, heaven, and hell, never heard about those things on a regular basis and then we wonder why they completely go agnostic or they go completely to Judaism or they go completely into an area where they don't believe Messiah has any merit. We did it to them. Subconsciously we did them to them. We didn't have any intent to do it to them but we did do it to them. It's the same things our educational system is doing by taking certain things out of the education and not teaching it because it no longer is relevant to them. There's going to come a time here in the future where it's going to be relevant to them, and we just totally screwed them up because we didn't teach it to them. Oh, it's not relevant. Oh, if we understand the Torah, we should understand Messiah. Tell Judaism that. They understand Mashiach. They don't think it's Yeshua. So maybe rather than us trying to worry about being Jews for Jesus or, or going and getting the Jews or going and getting, maybe we should deal with ourselves who are already here. And we're already here. God already came and got us. He already used somebody to come and get us. He brought us into a place. And we're supposed to come in every Shabbat and join together. We should be like a hospital. 
A church should be like a hospital that is full of human beings. All of them get sick. Some of them have been trained to help overcome those sicknesses. Yet when the doctors get sick themselves, where do they go? To the same hospital for treatment. This is the model the church should be. Human beings serving one another, trying to get healed. Instead, we have created a place where imperfect people learn how to heal. And instead, we create a place where imperfect people believe they're perfect. We missed the mark of the fact that Yeshua came not to condemn, but to heal. He came to save. He came to complete the cycle. He didn't do away with anything. Just like Gage said today, he made it harder. I can look at a checklist of do's and don'ts, and I can do pretty well with keeping those. But the intent by which I keep them, that's harder to do. Because I can smile at you while I'm cursing you in my head. Public school will teach you how to do that. I know I'm taking shots. I'm sorry. I have to. I just do. It's not even intentional. It'll teach you how to do those things. Yeshua is trying to teach us how not to do those things. He's trying to teach us that you're supposed to smile at that person and not take a shot at him in your head, because it's basically the same thing. It's time for us to start talking about these types of things when we get together with people. It's time for us to start being honest with one another about where we're at. It's time for us to start taking the church back to where the church should have been, which is a place where Yeshua was healing people and working miracles and wonders. And that's not going to happen until we get to a place where we can actually stand up and look at one another and say, I'm not perfect. People wonder why I act the way I do in a pastoral position. I get asked that all the time. Why are you so blunt? Why are you, why, you don't have a filter. Oh, you should have not said that. Um, why? If I thought it, it's exactly the same thing in the eyes of Yeshua. So I might as well speak it out of my mouth. And at least you can be mad at me and we can have a conversation about it rather than me harboring it and thinking I got away with it. Daniel, admit, I've known Daniel for a long time. Am I exactly the same way I was the first time you met me? Exactly the same way. Why? Because the thoughts come in, and anybody who's being honest with you, they come in. Even Stephen, who's like the nicest person I've ever met, I've seen him get to a point where he's like, you're drinking non-GMO, blah, 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 blah. Really? And at that brief moment, one of the nicest men I've ever met, soft-spoken, humble, kind, all the things I wish I could be. All the things he exudes, I struggle with. That's why God has you in a place like this. So you can walk hand in hand with brothers. Why? Because we have forgotten that we're stronger together. Oh, well, home fellowship will go off and do our own thing over here. We don't need anybody. Yeah. Hmm. Satan went out into the wilderness with the Lord too, tried to pick him off and say, hey, why don't you come over here? Why? Because there was no other influence that was there. Israel is all about being a community. When it talks about Israel being holy, it's when they came together on the Sabbath as a community. It's all about a community. It's not about an individual person. 
The more you try to go out and the more you try to get on your own, the more you'll be picked off. Don't forget that we're stronger together. Don't forget that you have been bought by a price. Don't forget that you were never too far gone and that's why you're here. It's time for us to start talking about the things that make us uncomfortable in church. Because then and only then are we going to get to a place that we're going to get better. And we're going to get to a place where we look more like Yeshua. And we're going to get to a place that we're more refined. Because if you honestly think it's going to happen in the world, how's that worked out for you? I know it hasn't worked because I've tried it there too. This is a place where we must start talking about the things that actually affect the people that are here and how Yeshua has informed us to go about overcoming those things. Daniel, will you come and do the ironic blessing, please? Um, so that everyone is aware why there's a child crying, it would appear, according to the report I heard, that some young one was stung by a little scorpion. Is that accurate? Kaysen, um, Meyer was just stung by a little scorpion. So um, let's say a prayer real quick for him. Father, we just uh, come to you and we ask that you would move on Kaysen's behalf. That you would take away the pain, the inflammation, that you would purge those toxins out of his body. You're the one who created his body. You formed him in his mother's womb. You know how his cells operate together in harmony. And we pray that you, by your hand, would bring a healing and a peace and a comfort. Find May there be no ill effects, no lasting effect of any kind, but instead, may he just have comfort and peace as you bring that peace. So Father, we pray this in the name of your Son Yeshua that you would cause this to happen. Amen. Adonai spoke unto Moshe and said, Speak unto Aharon and to his sons and tell them, In this way shall you bless the children of Israel. <laughs>
May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace, we pray.